This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm John Wilkinson, a family physician at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and I'm stepping in for Daryl this week. Just two hours ago, the CDC said it's not so much a question of if, it's a question of when. We are asking all American people to prepare for the expectation that this might be bad. We're talking about the coronavirus outbreak. I'm delighted we can talk with Dr. Pratish Tosh, a Mayo Clinic infectious disease specialist. Dr. Tosh came to us from the CDC and he's also an expert on emergency preparedness, pandemic planning, and biodefense. I can guarantee you that there's nobody better suited to bring us up to speed on this developing story. Thanks for joining us today, Pratish. Hey, thanks for having me. So how worried do we need to be? You know, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. And uh, for the last several weeks, I've been just you know, looking at the case counts coming from China. And the you know, last two weeks, the, the counts have been coming down. But these last few days have been um, sobering, I think is the best word, in that uh, now we're seeing these outcroppings of, of, um, of infection um, far away from China. And initially, a lot of these cases we were seeing, Singapore, um, you know, that were, there was somebody directly that we knew you know, came from China and then from, from the outbreak area and, and sort of spreading. And you can contain those. Um, at least we've been able to. Uh, the uh, epidemic currently going on in Italy is you know, a little more concerning in that I don't think we've identified an index case. Somebody who you know, was directly there in either Wuhan or something came to that part of Italy and then subsequently spread it around. So without finding a clear index case that really suggests that uh, there are these invisible chains of transmission from wherever this started to wherever it ends up, and if there are these invisible chains of transmission, that pretty much means it could be anywhere. So how worried am I? Uh, I used to be a lot less worried, but these last few days, I'm, I'm pretty concerned. Let's back up for just a minute. Why China? Why, why the, the Far East? What is it about uh, that part of the world that uh, seems to be the, the origin of some of these uh, emerging viruses? I think people forget that uh, the 2009 influenza pandemic uh, came out of you know, North America. Uh, Mexico, uh, California, um, and uh, back 1918, uh, what was called the Spanish flu, um, probably came out of Kansas. Um, and so, yeah, we we have our own uh, you know, fair share of things that have emerged from us. But the, the question about why does it why always China? Why does it purely these all come out of China? Um, you know, it's high population and. A lot of these emerging infections come from some sort of animal reservoir. If they were known human infections to begin with, we would have already known about them, pretty much. Um, and so when you're introducing new viruses, often they're coming from some sort of reservoir. Animal reservoir is a really good one. Um, and 2003, we saw SARS looking at the uh, either civet cats or the badger dogs that were in these markets, so live animal markets 
in China, and that really seemed to have been uh, potentially the source. Uh, looking at other coronavirus infections, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, um, it came in just a few years ago out of the Middle East, and that seems to be a coronavirus that mostly is in camels, but does infect people. Um, and so it's whenever you have this close intersection between animals and people, um, that you start to develop these zoonotic diseases that come from animals into people and then potentially can spread from person to person. The, the, initially, this was referred to as a coronavirus or coronavirus infection. Now it's COVID-19. Yeah. Why the name change? So there's a large number of different coronaviruses, corona meaning crown, coronation, right, crowning. Um, but that's kind of what it looks like under under. Uh, electron microscope. It's got this crown around it. So there's a large number of different viruses. Um, there's really been a lot of uh, push not to name these things after the geographic region that they come from. Um, is, you know, New Delhi metal, the New Delhi metallobatalactamase. I think the folks in New Delhi were really not pleased about that one. Um, and so rather than talking about this as the Wuhan coronavirus or Chinese novel coronavirus, just talking about this is a coronavirus disease that was emerged in, in 2019, so COVID-19. You use the term epidemic. Some people have used the word pandemic. Help us understand, what, what are, what's the difference and what is this uh, now? There's uh, a lot of different terms that are thrown out and you know, some of the things kind of mean the same thing. So whether it's a cluster, an outbreak or epidemic, it kind of depends what kind of emotion you want somebody else to have. Uh, if, if it's in your own facility, it's a cluster. If it's uh, somebody else's uh, problem, it's an epidemic. Um, but yeah, they, they kind of mean the same thing. And there's different uses of, of pandemic that uh, others will, will use. And there's official ones by WHO, and they may have been, uh, you know, maybe other people are using different things. But the concept is the same. Uh, that this is something that's no longer geographically contained, that it has the potential to be more broad, potentially the entire world. Now, whether that means everybody in the entire world is at risk or it has the potential to cause localized outbreaks anywhere in the world, you know, there, there are nuances of that term. Um, but for this virus, it certainly has a pandemic potential meaning it could certainly cause outbreaks throughout the world, whether this means community infections where everyone in the world is potentially uh, um, at risk uh, versus outcroppings of, of outbreaks like we're seeing in, in Italy right now uh, that remains to be seen. I'm worried about the former. So how is this different from uh, previous outbreaks? Is there something unique about this virus or its transmission? When you're looking at the SARS coronavirus, uh, from 2003, after they, they we controlled the outbreak, it pretty much disappeared. We got rid of the zoonotic reservoir from the, these markets, and you never heard from it again. You look at something like Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, uh, that's become somewhat endemic, especially amongst young camels uh, in the Middle East. Other things such as uh, avian influenza, you see cropping up every once in a while. Often those will go away and then reemerge. But this one is different. It, it doesn't seem like it's going to go away easily. Part of this is how easily it's transmitted from person to person. 
it would appear that uh, it's much easier to transmit from person to person than pretty much any of those other viruses I had mentioned. It's probably not as easy as um, influenza, but we're kind of talking that same ballpark. Going back to 2009, you know, within a week of finding the virus in Mexico, California, it was all it was elsewhere in the world, and within within a month, I mean, it was community infections with this novel virus were, were common throughout the world. So this is spreading a little more slowly than that, in that we're not seeing community infection in the United States after a good six weeks of really uh, intense activity in China. Looks like it's been going on for longer than that within China. But this slow march is, is really concerning. It's possible that what we're seeing is you know, a peak in China two weeks ago, and then you have, um, you know, with a with a uh, an incubation period up to 14 days, maybe you're seeing a peak of sort of these small fires getting out internationally. And if you just put out all these fires, then maybe we can stop it. I wish that were I wish that were the case. And you know, there's a uh, you know a hint that that we may still be there. But the chances that that's not going to happen is becoming increasingly high. At this point, we need to prepare for a pandemic within the United States and try to shift our mode from thinking about taking care of one or two of these patients if it were to come up to really transforming and thinking about, well, how are we going to do this um, across the country? You mentioned the incubation period. Uh, Compare that with, say, influenza, and also uh, how contagious are people during the impact? incubation period? The latter question remains to be seen, and it would appear that that uh, some people can transmit before they're really, uh, really symptomatic. How much of transmission occurs before uh, people are sick, you know, that, that's something I don't think we know very well yet. It would appear that most people are going to transmit while they're sick. Uh, comparing that to influenza, People are certainly transmitting before they get sick, which kind of why with an influenza epidemic, you can't stop those. You can just try to manage them. I think the, you know, the world has done you know, the best we can in trying to stop the onslaught of this infection. The nature of the virus makes it really hard. And again, there's still, still this glimmer of hope that you know, maybe this is just two incubation periods away from the peak, uh, and if we can just put out all these fires, maybe we can we can dampen this. But I'm an optimistic guy, but I think uh, the, the facts are staring us in the face that that's, that's unlikely. So we should be preparing. First, uh, what should we as healthcare providers be thinking about and doing? And then next, what should we as citizens be thinking about? Healthcare providers first. Yeah. I think we've learned a lot, and it's been a steep learning curve. Uh, it would look that uh, if you're looking at the patients who are taken care of within the United States, including in community hospitals, without subsequent transmission to healthcare workers, um, you know this is not special training. There's no you know, special equipment. Um, using the CDC guidance, putting patients in negative air rooms, um, wearing appropriate PPE, some sort of respirator, N95 or a PAPR, some sort of mask, uh, face protection, gloves and gown, you can prevent transmission. And you know that's been done 
at regular healthcare facilities throughout the country. And so this is something that, that, that can be done by, by healthcare providers reliably and safely. In terms of citizens, anytime you have an epidemic, the first thing that comes up are the really sick cases. Those are the ones that make the news. Frankly, a 19-year-old who has a sniffle is not going to get written about. And a 90-year-old who dies of pneumonia, unfortunately, is also not going to make the news. And so it's when you start to see these relatively healthy people developing severe illness that people start to take notice. And, of course, those are the ones that make the news. Looking at large numbers of these cases, it would appear that most people, especially healthy people, have mild illness with this infection. The case fatality, people would say mortality, but the case fatalities we're seeing is um, in that uh, 2 to 2% range, probably closer to 1% when we start to really factor in how many asymptomatic and minimally symptomatic people there are uh, potentially with this infection. In comparison, the 2009 influenza pandemic, probably 0.5% around that, around that range, case fatality. And so this is uh, something that's probably going to be a little worse than a influenza pandemic, uh, at least the last one we had, but kind of along those lines. If you imagine a, uh, a severe influenza year, we might be looking at that, that sort of range if this, is, if this becomes a community infection within the United States. Heard a talk about uh, quarantining and, and the isolating people, and, and by and large, it doesn't work. But what practical precautions should we be taking in our offices and in the outpatient setting? The f- first thing we need to do is also remember that uh, influenza is actually really high activity right now. And if somebody hasn't gotten influenza vaccination, they should do so because that's actually the virus that is circulating in the United States right now. Uh, thinking about uh, COVID-19 and not getting your flu shot is is unacceptable. Um, and and so do what you can you know, the, to prevent the thing we already know is circulating. Uh, the next thing is is you're working within your your healthcare institution to um, get a sense of what what the uh, what the what the plans are going to be, and, and recognizing that you know, there may be a time that that this becomes a community infection, and uh, we may be called upon to take care of these patients. And uh, it would appear that uh, we have the knowledge, we have the the ability to take care of these patients safely. Hand washing, number one thing to do. Yeah, hand washing, respiratory etiquette. These are important, right? Um, you know, don't sneeze on people. It seems crazy to say that, right? But uh, you know, sneeze into the crook of your arm. Uh, if, you, if you feel like you have a fever and a respiratory illness, don't go out. Right? Stay home. Social distancing. Wash your hands. Um, and you know, these are the simple things. You know, staying healthy. It would look as though you know, the people who are um, having the worst outcomes from uh, this novel coronavirus, are those you would expect to have poor outcome from influenza. And so the healthier you can stay, the, the healthier you will be after potentially getting this infection. Talk about don't go out and uh, staying home from work. Uh, it seems like people uh, don't uh, stay home long enough or often enough. Yeah, I think we have um, a lot of social pressures, especially in healthcare to come to work. Like, oh, I'm just gonna 
going to do it, right? I'm not going to let my, my colleagues pick up my slack. Uh, it's a problem we call, rather than absenteeism, of it's presenteeism. Uh, and if, across the board, it's better to stay home. Um, it only makes things worse. It may, uh, it, it may uh, make you feel a little better at the time that, oh, you're, you're doing your thing, you're, you're doing your part, but in the end it's actually backfiring and, and causing more harm because um, then one of your colleagues is next. Could I just come to work and wear one of those masks? Don't do that. If you're sick, stay at home. Thank you. I keep hearing that this might affect the whole global economy. How, how does that work? Uh, I'm not an economist. One of my concerns, and we may start seeing this already, is uh, supply chain vulnerability. And usually when I talk about supply chain vulnerability, mind you, I can do that for hours. Um, it's, it's usually met by snoozes. Uh, but now people are paying attention. We have no idea what medical products are made in Wuhan or what uh, medications, uh, you know, primary pharmaceutical ingredient is made in, in, in certain parts. In fact, during, the, during Hurricane Maria, we found out that all of these IV fluids were being made in Puerto Rico. And suddenly there's a, a hurricane and we had shortages. That is in our backyard and a, a you know, U.S. territory. And so our, our understanding of, of the supply chain uh, of things sourced uh, out of China, I mean, put, put that in perspective. And so my expectation is you know, now we're about a month out from the real start of this thing. And uh, the just-in-time inventories that we, we have to sort of maintain within healthcare to make it uh, to make the margins make sense, uh, those will start to be taxed. And then we're about to find out what kinds of products are made there, and it's probably going to hurt. Well, thank you very much. you have any last thoughts uh, for our listeners? This is an evolving situation. The tone coming out of CDC from World Health Organization has changed dramatically in just the last week. I'm an optimistic guy, but the the facts are are staring me in the face. I am remain hopeful that this could be the you know we just got to put out these small fires. We really need to prepare that uh, this could be something that that becomes a community infection, including the United States. And as healthcare workers, we've got to be ready for it, and be confident in knowing that the steps we can do can protect you. They've already worked um, in healthcare facilities in the United States, just like the one you're at, right? Uh, whoever you are. Uh, and so I think that's kind of my parting word. We've been talking about COVID-19 with Dr. Pratish Tosh. Thank you for your time, Pratish. And as Daryl says, if you enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks, please subscribe. Stay healthy, stay hopeful, even if you can't stay optimistic. We'll see you next week.